Good morning. Good to worship with you guys today. A few announcements before we get started here. A few quick announcements because we've got a lot of ground to cover today. Um, the craft fair. We have a craft fair that Marcy is... Uh, Marcy, raise your hand. So it's a craft fair that's going to support the Malawi mission trip. So she's looking for volunteers, craft vendors, donations. So if you're in... Interested in that in any way, shape, or form, could you please see her, and uh, she'll give you some more information for that. Sunday evening service, what? Uh, <clears throat> this weekend, not this week, is it today? Next, next weekend, yeah. It's like thrown out here. Um, next weekend, on Sunday night, we are going to have a Sunday night service, and what we're trying to do with that is we're trying to raise up leaders. We're giving some, uh, some, some men some opportunities to come and bring the word. We're going to worship, so um, it's going to feel and look a little bit different than a Sunday, or Sunday morning service, but it's, it gives us a chance to get some reps in for, for some people that are, are looking to grow in the word in there and train them up as, as leaders here in the church, so if you are interested in that and coming in uh, Sunday night to worship again, we would love to have you. One final announcement, as Mel mentioned, last week we kind of pulled all those Connect cards out of our seats because we wanted to add that box. That's specifically why we did that for the prayer. Um, if you wanna be a part of the prayer team, please download the app. It's go to your app store, Church Center app. You'll select Redemption Church. Right on that main screen, you'll see a, a link that says Prayer Team. So we want to be a church that prays for each other, and this is a way that we have uh, come up with to where anytime somebody fills out a Connect card, whether it be online or if India does it uh, on Monday morning, this spreadsheet will automatically update, and people who need prayer, uh, now those prayers are in front of our people, and we want to be a praying church. So please, if you're interested in doing that, if, if you want some prayers to uh, include in your own personal prayer time, please uh, go ahead and do that because we would love for you to be praying for the church. But we got a lot of ground to cover today. We are in Colossians chapter three. Um, let me introduce myself since I kind of just hopped up here and started talking. My name is Greg Bolowitz. I am the executive pastor here at Redemption Church. And what we do here, if you're new, you came on an interesting week. Um, what we do here at uh, Redemption Church is we preach through books of the Bible from start to finish and we don't. We don't miss anything in between. So that's what we're gonna do today. That's where I'm at. I'm gonna finish out chapter three. Um, if you would open your Bibles there um, as we go there. But let me remind you, <clears throat> chapter three starts in verse one, verse one. It says this. So if you have been raised with Christ. So Paul's talking to believers. He's talking, if you are professing yourself as, as being saved by Christ and you're a Christian, this is for you. This is for you. And over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about Paul's directives to the church, like all these, all these commands that he's laying out. Like if you've been raised with Christ, if your life is hidden in Christ, your life should have reflect these traits. And Sean Fenner did a great job at convicting us all two weeks ago and having us be, kind of self-evaluate ourselves. And he did a great job at that. But let me... Let me first, um, let me go through a couple of these traits. And if you know me, I like a little bit of interaction. So wake up a little bit. I'm gonna ask 
for if you're a, if you're a Christian here today, I'm just gonna work through these real quickly. If you would give a hearty amen if, if you believe this stuff. Verse two, it says, set your minds on things above, not earthly things. Amen. amen. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Amen. Amen. Put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Amen. Amen. Do not lie to one another since you have put off your old self with its practices. Hang with me. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Yes, absolutely. Above all, Paul says, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Amen. We need that in the church for sure. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. All right, let's go to 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Amen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So there's a little hesitation there, right? Like the guy sitting next to his wife, and he's like, I don't know if I can amen this one. <laughs> I know I backed you into a corner there. But the hesitation there is like we feel that as when Paul moves from these general encompassing commands to a practical outflow working, we hesitate. We hesitate. And should we hesitate? I think we hesitate because of our sinful nature, fighting against the flesh and fighting against our renewed minds and hearts. So let me be fair here and let me read the entirety of the scripture today and follow along. Wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children so they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people knowing that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. So that's where we're landing today. We're gonna finish out chapter three. So like I said, Paul moves from, all, from these all-encompassing general commands for the ordinary Christian life to practical outworkings for specific individuals. Now, the specific individuals that we see here are wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, which I will kind of lump in as employees, and masters as bosses. And I'm gonna lump that in and I'll, I'll explain that. So we'll all fall into one of these categories most likely. Now, contextually, let me get back to the masters and slaves. We don't, we don't have that today, you know, and it was even different than the slavery that we had here in America. Back in, in Paul's day, like if you owed a debt, you could sell yourself to your, 
to the person who held your debt and you could work for them. So uh, a practical outworking from that relationship contextually and bringing it to today is kind of the same, same thing as like being an employee and having a boss. Um, the, practical, the practical outflow from that is the same thing because it's less about the, the, the cultural ramifications of masters and slaves, and it's more about the Christian attitude and how he conducts his life in a relationship like that. So that's, Fred has preached on that before. I'm not gonna dive any deeper into that. You can look into that a little bit more. I think the Bible definitely speaks in a way that we can make that jump for application in our day. But most likely, we can fall into one of the following. A wife, a husband, a child, a father, boss, or an employee. So our first point, if you had a handout given to you when you walk through these doors, the outworkings of the Christian life look differently based on individual roles. So let's draw this out. You know that I like visual aids. So let's draw this out, <clears throat> how, it, how it flows. Her wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. So we have the first slide here that will be husbands. <laughs> okay, so that's where we're starting. We have husbands and wives. Now let me bring in 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to know that Christ is head of every man and the man is head of, every, of the woman and God is the head of Christ. So man is under Christ and God, which will bring us to the next slide. Three, we have Children, obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. I feel like I'm like magic. <laughs> now, why does it please the Lord? It pleases the Lord because it's following the Lord's design. When children, when children, excuse me, <laughs> when children obey their parents, it pleases the Lord. <laughs> Well, look at you too, Dylan. <laughs> um, the next point, slaves obey your human masters in everything. So slaves are called to work. Go ahead and throw that up there. So we have this relationship as well. We have uh, slaves are called to work as though they're working directly for the Lord, not their masters. You see, it's their inner attitude. It's their inner attitude as a Christian. Much in the same way wives are to submit to their husbands, not because their husband is some kind of God, Himself, but rather because it displays their submission to the Lord. And masters, it says at the end of our passage, masters, just like the husbands, Paul reminds them that they too have a master, so they better act fairly and justly. So you see this, this, this practical outflow and working and design of God. Now, it's not obedience just to the design, but it's all it ultimately points all the way up. So when this is followed, we have submission to God himself. And this is the design that is laid out in scripture. And what I want you to see with this design is that there's order. There's a thought process behind it. There's a God behind it. Not only here in, in, in Colossians where we're at today, it's in Ephesians, it's in First Timothy, it's in Corinthians, all the same design and the flow is, is, is exact. We should take notice. So the question is, do we accept this design or are we gonna argue against it? Or are we gonna argue against it? 
I can tell you culture today, we wanna fight this design. Maybe not bosses over employees. Maybe not that children should obey their parents. But wives, submission to your husband. That's where the hesitation came this morning. It's a countercultural idea. And it's really not only the world that finds it repulsive sometimes. Some denominations, mm-mm, not gonna have it. Some people in the church, not gonna have it. So for that reason, we're gonna focus today on that relationship, the roles between man and woman. So we here at Redemption Church, I told you, if you're, if you're a new guest today, you are coming at a very interesting sermon today. <clears throat> we are a non-denominational church here, which means we're a melting pot of different denominations, different secondary beliefs. You know, we have closed-hand beliefs that we will, we will die for, and then there's open-hand beliefs that, that we will not fight over and divide against. I say that today because some of you may be challenged. This may hit a spot in you that is uncomfortable. And I pray, and I've been praying, that your heart would allow me to preach this message and that you'll be able to be open to it today and and that you would give me an opportunity to get through the message as well. So this is what typically happens with this message. A pastor will get up here They'll tell you everything that submission doesn't mean. Call out all the hurt that has been caused by an improper view of scripture. And by the end, you might know what it doesn't mean or how when you uh, understand it incorrectly, all those implications, but you're not really sure what it does mean or the design, more importantly, behind it all. So I don't wanna do that today. I want And it's not because I don't want to be compassionate to those of you that have maybe have felt hurt from this, but more, I I only have so much time and I want to preach the text. I want to preach the text. Because let's, I think we can all agree on wives submit to your husbands is probably one of the most damaging verses when not properly understood. Hurtful. First, an improper view has caused fallen men to discern it in an oppressive manner as a means of domination over their wives. I think we can all recognize and state that's incorrect. That's wrong. If you've been hurt in that way, I am sorry. That is not right. But I'm going to ask you to stick, stick with me through this today. Stick with me today because here's the other reality. The other reality is there's another kind of disaster that happens with a verse like this. When when we come to a verse that's difficult or challenging, we want to ignore them. Or if if it goes against our culture, we want to say immediately it's obsolete. We can't do that. We can't do that if culture tells us to. We can't even do that when it just, the pain is, is great in our lives, if we felt something because of an improper view of this. So today, 
I hope I leave you with a, a better and a clearer understanding, and hopefully you leave here with um, more answers than questions, but expect to be challenged. Expect to be challenged today. Um, if you have further questions, always, I'm always free to talk. Uh, you can always email me at fred at redemptionpa.org, and um, I'll be sure to get back to you there. <laughs> because I'm going to be on sabbatical and hiding after this message. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. So by Paul addressing submission, he sticks his finger right in the, uh, the wound or the curse of the fall of man. And as a result, we struggle with it. I mean, the, we can understand that. There's two big churchy words that I, that I need to say that um, describe biblical womanhood. Complementarianism and egalitarianism. Two big words. Um, Redemption church falls in a complementarian mindset, a view. That's not like a compliment like, hey, good job. It's a compliment like two things come together as an expression to God's glory. That's That's what we hold to here. That male and female are equal in value but they were created for different purposes and they have different roles and functions. Equal in value, different roles. That's the complementarian view. The egalitarian view is that man and woman are equal in value, same thing there, or good there, but that there's no distinction between roles between male and female. That's the difference. I don't... You have to make a couple leaps and jump through some hoops scripturally to make that idea work. That's why we don't hold to it here at Redemption Church. But if you hold that view, there's a lot of Jesus-loving people that hold that view, okay? So don't mishear me, but we don't hold that view here at Redemption Church. So it's only possible to understand Paul's practical applications um, Namely, a husband and wife roles, if we can first understand the design, the order, and the roles of male and female. So that's where we're going to go today. And it's going to be a lot, a lot of page turning to scripture. But I want the word to speak, not me. So the question has to be asked, is Paul a complete bigot for stating this? that wives should submit to their husband? Is, he, is, he just a, is it a cultural thing? Is it a cultural thing that needs to be refuted and, and, and applied differently today? Kind of like what I did with masters and slaves. You should be asking that question. Well, Greg, why did you do it there? But you can't do it for this part. And that's what we're gonna answer. We're gonna answer that question. If you would turn to Genesis, I think all good theology will point back to Genesis in one way, shape, or form. So let's start there. Genesis 1, six days of creation, six days specific to mankind. Let's read it. It's a summary account here in Genesis 1. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. There's a distinction. 
God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Roll the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given you every green plant for food and it was so God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came in the morning, the sixth day. So we see they will, they will rule over creation. Male and female were both created in the image of God. This gives us the sense of equal value. Equal value in God's currency, which is humanity right now. They receive a command together. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and we know that it was good. We know it was good. So let's get out of the summary account. Let's, let's get into Genesis chapter two where he's gonna elaborate a little bit more on how this all played out. Genesis two, verse seven. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. So let's pause here. Let's take notice. Probably read that a hundred times. Creation was complete. God created the, the first man from what? Dust. And then God breathed breath into that dust, giving him life. And then God takes this man and he puts him in the garden. So he's created outside the garden and has placed him in the garden now. Verse, verse 15, it's gonna reiterate this. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Work and watch over it, keep that in mind. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. God has specifically placed the man in the garden to work it and to watch over it. And he gives him the first command to follow. Now we see an authoritative position starting to form here. He has, he has um, he's the first one in charge. He has marching orders to work it, to watch over it, and to follow God's commands. Authority has been given. Marching orders have been given. Now what? 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky and every animal, but for the man no helper was found corresponding to him. To name something shows some type of authority over it. We're having, hey, we're having a girl. Our eighth baby's a girl. <laughs> None of you are gonna name it. I don't care what you say. <laughs> I have authority over my child to name it. I have the naming rights to that. And God has given Adam the, the authority to name creation. 
That's, we have to recognize that. That's important. And I, I think it's even also interesting that God gives him and lets him names, name everything, not only because he has an authoritative position, but now he knows all of creation. And he knows in his heart and his, his mind, man, there's nothing here for me. There is nothing corresponding to me after naming all of this. And that was not good. That was not good. But we should pause here. We should pause here because no helper was found. What's Adam's role? Work it, watch over it, and to follow God's commands. If that's his role, to work and watch over, I don't know. I could probably use a couple Clydesdale, maybe a plow, John Deere tractor maybe. He could have named the first green John Deere tractor to work it and to watch over it. Yet, that wasn't good. How about even this? Wouldn't another man help him work and watch over and tend the garden? Yet no helper was found corresponding to him. Why? Because no animal, no toll, not even another man could help Adam carry out God's ultimate plan and design. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. The role cannot be filled by Adam alone. That's our next point. Adam's role alone could not carry out God's design and purpose. He needed a helper. He needed a helper. 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept. God took out of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from man into a woman and brought her to the man and said to him, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and bonds to his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and wife were naked yet felt no shame. So what's the differences here so far between man and woman? Do you notice man was created from dust? God breathed life into him. Now we have woman taken from man. He's already in the garden, taken from man. That's different. Yet still created by God in God's image within the garden as a helper to carry out the command they were both given be fruitful, multiply, subdue it. Adam could not do that alone. Two distinct roles are present that complement each other for God's ultimate design and purpose. Now we see here, man has, is continuing his authoritative role by the order of creation, by naming his creation and naming the woman. This is woman, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He names woman. And not only that, I have three brothers. So my, my mother has no, no daughters at all. And I think that last part, can, the sentiment can still be felt today. And maybe mothers, you, you, can, you can attest to this in some way, shape, or form. A man leaves his father and mother and goes to his wife. 
there's leadership there, and that's felt in the family. You have, and, it's not, and it's not always the case, but it, it seems that the, the husband's family loses a son and a wife's family gains a son-in-law, more often than not. Now, I'm not saying that's always the case. You're like, I love my daughter-in-law. I don't know what you're talking about. But I think there's a sentiment that's felt there, especially with mothers that only have boys. They feel like they've lost something. It's because there's leadership there. There's a leaving. That, there's leaving in an authoritative position for man to leave his family and go start another one. And the wife just stays connected more naturally to his family. Not always the case, but I think it's interesting to think about. I think there's a sentiment there that is, still remains true today. So what have I done this, thus far? We've been in Genesis. Let's fill out another point. This is a longer one. God has a specific created order. If we look at that, we have, to, we have to recognize that if everything was good, then God's design and plan is good. So God has a specific created order, man first, then woman. He created them with equal value, yet with different roles that complement each other and point to his glory. These two Creations come together, complement each other to fulfill the will and desire of God. Now, it's important to note here, different roles do not equate into inequality. They don't. This is something that we fabricate in our own sinful natures. God does not see woman as less significant because she came second or that's because she's a helper. Her value is found, your identity is found as an image bearer of God, period. You are not valued by your role. Your value comes from God alone. We do this in our, in our, in our culture. What job you have, you're more valuable. You know, we equate things with roles here. We cannot superimpose our views onto the Bible because that's what our culture says. We can't do it. His design is perfect. And if we think about it, even just for a second, who does the savior of the world come from? Joseph has nothing to do with it. Mary. Yet we say that the role is insignificant to a man. That is silly. That is silly. And we're not done with creation yet. We must talk about the fall of man. It's important because Paul uses the order of creation and the fall in his arguments in the New Testament throughout the New Testament. Which, by the way, Genesis, there's two people. What culture is there? This is why these things are, are far beyond culture and these are, these are timeless. God's plan and design is timeless and outside of culture. This is why, well, let me say it this way. The fall of man displays man's authority. How so? I'll explain that. How does a coup work? A coup is like, the, I just thought on Friday, the, the Ides of March, and I can't even remember it all. My English teacher's gonna like hit me. 
But like, that's when the Senate like kills Caesar, I think. Like all these people are like, everybody underneath the leader, like circumvent his authority and like take him over like a coup. The person in charge is circumvented by those in the chain of command. What happened in the fall? What happened in the fall? Remember, the devil is a liar, a schemer. Who did he go after? Creation number one, Adam? He did not. He did not go after Adam, the head of the household. He circumvented the chain of command and tempted Eve, his helper, to to act in her own authority against Adam's will, which was ultimately against God's will. That's important. That's significant. The fact that the devil chose this route exemplifies his hate for the created order and God's divine plan. The devil reversed the roles and flipped God's design on its head, ushering in the fall of man. Have you ever taken notice of that? Next point, Satan circumvented God's design in the fall by tempting Eve, not Adam. Yet, it is Adam's fault. It's Adam's fault. Look at this. Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Skip the 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. We have a typology here of Adam and Christ. They're, they're a type. 17, if by one man's trespass death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man, Jesus Christ? You see here, Paul attributes sin and the fall of man, the reason why you and I all have sinful natures, because of Adam, because of Adam, with no mention of Eve. Why is that? You have to ask that question. Why is that? He was the one that was responsible, the created order, his authoritative position, Yet Paul recognizes, it's not like Paul doesn't know this, Paul recognizes that Adam was not the one deceived. 1 Timothy 2, 13 through 14. In this this context, Paul's gonna use the order of creation. And it says Eve was the transgressor. And Paul, in this context, is using the order of creation the fall of man and the fact that Eve transgressed as a reason for male headship in the church structure, which would mean no women pastors. That may or may not sit well with you, but this is why we're going through this. When we pull and look through all of the design and the order and and the fall of man, it speaks into the New Testament you see, if you, if, if you remove created order and what happened and you, and you wrap it up, you wrap Genesis up in this mythological representation, fairy tale story that, that 
maybe this, you can pull applications out of it, but it really didn't happen, you have some big problems discerning the New Testament and Paul's letters and his understandings. Paul has every opportunity. Paul, Pharisee of Pharisees, he knew the Old Testament better than you and I probably ever will. Yet, how does Paul address Genesis in all of his letters? He has every opportunity to be like, listen, guys, I know this was like, this was just a fairy tale story and this is what it was supposed to mean and it didn't really happen that way, but this is what we should think of it. He doesn't do that. He does not do that. He, every time that Paul refers to Genesis, he refers to it as true and an accurate account of creation and the divine order and the fall. Strip away Genesis, and you not only have problems with the created order, but you have problems with malheadship in the church, and you have problems with redemption itself. There is serious ramifications to this. Romans 5.19 says this. For just as the, through one man's disobedience, okay, we've, we've, we know this is Adam's. This is Adam's fault. Through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So also, because we know that Adam's a type of Christ, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. We wanna strip, strip away all, all, everything in, in Genesis? Then we have problems here. How do we discern this? How do we discern Anything that Paul's saying here, we have big problems. Maybe sin entered through a whole bunch of people, but now through Jesus, we have, but that's not what it says. It's not what it says. Jesus' body, his life, death, burial, resurrection is how the many are made righteous, just like in the same way in the type that Adam, through his sin, many are made sinners. Big problems if you don't believe what Genesis says. Going down the wrong path in terms of redemption through Jesus Christ, please be aware of that. So now that we understand created order, God's design, and intentions, let's move out of Genesis into the sister text of Colossians 3, which is Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. See, we're going to see much of the same exact language with more explanation. And I know this is, there's a lot of teaching and not a lot of preaching this morning because I have to lay this foundation before I get to my point. 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord because the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does the church since we are members of his body. For this reason, 
a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ in the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. There's a lot there. Created order is colliding now with the picture of what Christ did for the church. The wife was created through man. The man is head of the wife. Our spiritual life, our renewing of our our spiritual nature is made alive in Christ. That's what he did on the cross. As as we um, get salvation from him, we are born again and our life is hidden in Christ. Remember how chapter one or chapter three, verse one starts? So if you've been raised with Christ, Christ is head over the body. You see the symbolism there between husband and wife and the picture of Christ in the church. This isn't cultural. This is significant based on God's divine plan. Now granted, we can all agree that we must submit to Christ as Christians. We don't have any problem with that. He's perfect. It's a lot easier to do that. No problems with that at all. He gave himself for us as the perfect sacrifice. But marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Husbands are head of the family. When that gets flipped, things get chaotic. Wives are to submit and respect their husbands as a reflection of their faith to Christ and based on the created order and the plan and the design and Jesus in the church. And it's interesting, again, Paul does what at the end? He points back to Genesis about a man leaving his father and his mother. He points back to Genesis again. Just like the gospel, this command, this practical outworking that Paul's giving us is counter-cultural today. Just like the gospel. So just like the entirety of chapter three in Colossians, we're called to be obedient We all amen those things. We have to accept Paul's words as true. Not just the wives, husbands too. Wives are called to submit to, but husbands, you're called to an even higher standard than that. Love your wives as your own body. And even more so, like Christ loved the church. That means you must love them sacrificially. So much so that the love that they get from you is so Christ-like that the only thing that they can reciprocate is submission and they don't even realize that they're doing it because they're so loved by you. But wives... I don't talk from experience here, but some, some husbands here aren't perfect. <laughs> I'm not perfect either. She'll attest to that. <laughs> but here's the, here's the thing. So, so what people will tell you is like, well, if he's not loving you like Christ, then you don't need to submit. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? Scripture does not say that. It says, submit to your husband as to the Lord. 
How do you submit to the Lord? Full submission. Full submission to the Lord. This does not mean, now let me clarify this. This does not mean that your submission is passive and without voice. Mm-mm. It does not mean your, your submission should uh, end in abuse or submissive, submissiveness is abusive. That's not right. Or that submit, sub, oh man, I'm gonna. Submissiveness never leads you into disobeying to obey. It does, that doesn't make sense. It's an oxymoron. You can't do that. That's not the command of, of, of being submissive. Wives, submission can be summed up in three words. I'll write these down. Support, respect, and follow. These things are a choice that you choose to give to your husband. Are you forthcoming with your submission to your husband? Support, you encouraging him as a father, as a husband, Are you encouraging him in his work? Are you coming alongside of him in in a controlling fashion? Are you coming alongside of him to help him in his God-given role as a leader? Respect. Don't talk poorly about him. Don't gossip about him behind his back to your friends about how he's terrible and he never listens to me, yada, yada, yada. Don't beat them down at home. Solomon speaks to this, Proverbs 29, 19. Better to live in wilderness, he says, than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. There's some strong words. (laughs) Honor your husband. Even in his screw-ups, even in his failures, When he turns around, does he see you with your submission like, we're here together? Like if he screws up, he looks behind and he knows and he can count on you. He can lean on you as a helper. You're in his corner. Can he count on you above all people? Follow him. If God's design is for him to lead, you gotta let him lead. You have to. Come beside him in his leadership. Respond to his initiatives. Of course, voice your opinions. This is not some command to sit down and shut up. This is a command for men to stand up and lead. If he's not leading you into sin, follow him. Follow him. Without hesitation. Without the I told you so in the back pocket like just loaded in the chamber, like he turns around and you got the gun pointed right at him. Told you so, dumb, dumb. Husbands, you're called to lead, sacrifice, and love your wives, imitating Christ. That's some tough shoes to follow. To lead, you must be the one who is primarily saying let's. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's pray. Let's be in the Bible. Let's train our kids. Let's think about this. Let's talk about this. The let's should primarily reside with you. Not that a a wife can't give her suggestions or anything like that. 
I'm talking about an initiative. Man, take initiative in your relationship with your wife. Because the good news is, is God created you for it. The better news is that he gave you a helper to do it. Sacrifice. You must be willing to sacrifice like Christ did for the church. That means maybe you don't take a promotion because it's gonna take you away from your family. Maybe that means you are gonna take a promotion because it's gonna allow your wife to be at home with the kids. You know, that, that's the gray area where you have to work that out in your family and in your life. Maybe it means no new cars. Maybe it means downsizing your house. Maybe it means buying a different house in a different area. What it does mean is you're dying to yourself because your wife is worth way more than any hobby, than any early morning hunting trip or a fishing trip or hanging out with the guys or playing Xbox, whatever it is. Your wife has to be counted more valuable than anything in your life. Let us remember the church. The church is a bunch of sinners, yet Christ died for the church. Love your wife. She is bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. Act like it. Take care of her needs Physically, emotionally, spiritually, protect her, woo her, love her. That's what we're called to as husbands. When, when a husband and wife can do this, man, in our fallen world, it reverses the curse of the fall. It displays Christ and the church and the gospel message in our marriage. You wanna speak like big things to people around you, have your marriage look like this and they're gonna be asking questions about why. Now, what about all my single ladies? <laughs> Put your hands up. <laughs> Listen, this is, this is serious. <laughs> Kinda, no. If your sanctification, if your sanctification comes through submission to your husband, this should resonate with you before you commit yourself to marriage. Look for someone who demonstrates these traits, not, not perfectly, because we're fallen men, but if marriage is more about your walk as a Christian and your faith in Christ than it is like a sappy Hallmark movie, then you better listen and discern your boyfriend and listen to wise counsel because I do means I will submit to him. This is why you cannot be unequally yoked if you are not in a marriage relationship and you are dating an unbeliever. You cannot be unequally yoked because what does that mean? Your boyfriend doesn't know Christ, which means he doesn't know how Christ loved the church, which means he doesn't know how to love you and you are valuable in God's eyes. Don't do it. I see it as a pastor. It's painful to watch. Don't do it. 
there's huge ramifications of doing that. You need somebody that loves the Lord. You deserve it. All the single men, I ain't gonna ring that one out. <laughs> you have a huge role to fill. You better step up. You better take your faith seriously. You are to love your wife like Christ loved the church, which means if you don't know that, if you don't know the outworkings of that, don't you dare ask for a woman's hand in marriage because you are not ready yet. You need to man up. You gotta take responsibility and you need to learn what it is and how Christ loved the church before you can love your future wife like that. If you wanna be a little boy, lacking responsibilities, lacking leadership, you're not ready for marriage, let alone the gift that marriage brings, which is children. Seek godly counsel, men. Learn how deeply Christ loved the church. And remember, this, this is not a call for women to sit down and shut up. I just wanna reiterate that because that's where it goes. This is for men to stand up and be men and to lead. That's what this is about. And our final point here, it's not on the screen, but I'm gonna leave you with this. As the church, we've talked about all of these commands are the ordinary Christian life. If you're a Christian, the Bible says older men train up younger men. If you're walking with Christ, who are you mentoring to do the same that's below you? And it says younger, older women train up younger women. If you are a godly woman, who are you training up in the ways of the Lord? We need you. That's the ordinary Christian life. It's time to live it. Would you pray with me? Father, your word is true. And this is the scripture that it just is sharper than a two-edged sword and it divides bone and marrow. And, and sometimes it's hard. So Lord, I pray that you would take this word that it would infiltrate our hearts today, that it would motivate us to live our roles out appropriately, to love, for husbands to love their wives like you loved us as a bunch of sinners in the church. And that, you're, that wives here today could, could love their husbands well, respect them and support them and encourage them. And that the two could be a reflection of your glory and your design. Father, everything that you've created, we look at it today and we're in awe. We thank you for the design that you've placed forth in creation. Equip us. And Holy Spirit, give us the power to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.